this is going to be a quick fire question because it seems to fit the London theme. I'm going to say three place names in London. You have to tell me which one is not a real place name in London. Okay. All right. I'm Are ready. you ready? Cock Hill, Swallow Passage, or Upper Butts? God damn it, Terry. Um, I'm going with Cock Hill. I'm going to go with the Upper, uh, what? The Swallow Passage. False, because all of Swallow Passage, Cock Hill, and Upper Butts are all places in London. What the oh, hell is trick question. Damn it. It's a Mimic, the roundtable Dungeons & Dragons discussion, where you never know what you're going to get. Alright, welcome to another episode in our conversation on Dungeons & Dragons lore. I'm Dan, and with me today are Terry and Brad. Have the three of us ever been in an episode together? We've been in an episode together, Brad. Terry and I have, but I don't think the three of us together. Oh, Maybe well, Adam was yeah. in your chair. Well, first time for everything, I guess. But anyways, today we are covering... Baldur's Gate. We have previously covered all sorts of locations in D&D 5e, including Waterdeep, Icewind Dale, and Chult, Barovia, Ravenloft, and the Shadowfell, the Feywild, and the Astral Sea, the Underdark, and the Lower Plains, and even Eberron, Ravnica, and Theros. You can find all of these episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and dozens of other podcast apps, or you can jump over to YouTube and dig into the entire playlist on D&D lore that we've built there. This episode, though, is going to focus on one of the more famous, or shall I say infamous, locations in Faerun, Baldur's Gate. So, strap in for some urban adventure with a side of slaughter in the name of an evil god. So, what do you guys know of Baldur's Gate? I have played the video games. Does that count? Which ones? Well, Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. Yeah, and okay. a little bit of 3. I like that was cheating. That well, was Baldur's Gate 3 isn't even fully out yet. It's only in early access. Yeah, but... I've still played enough of it. Yeah, cool. Terry? I don't know anything about Baldur's You don't Gate. know anything about Baldur's No, Baldur's I'm, I'm learning along with everybody else, and so naturally the questions I bring up will uh, will be in that vein. Okay, before we get started with the lore dump, I think it'll be next to impossible to talk about what we have available to us in the town of Baldur's Gate without spoiling a little bit of Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. It's where a lot of our information comes from. There's some smatterings in Skag and Candlekeep, but for the most part, it's all found in... The, the bulk of the data you're going to find is going to come from Descent and Avernus. Right? I don't know if this is here, but in the UK, Skag is a nickname for heroin. Oh, oh, not here. Sword no? Coast Adventures Guide. Okay, I'm yeah. with you now. We have been saying Skag on this podcast for 140-something episodes. I know, and, and Terry has never been on any of them. I've often wondered. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. So it's a it's an acronym. Anyways, um, if you are about to start playing that campaign module, this whole episode has a soul coin fueled infernal machine size spoiler alert. Just so big spoiler alert. Yeah, there you go. So for the tone of Baldur's Gate in 5e, what we have is a tonal opposite of what we see in the Alturals, Neverwinters, and Waterdeeps of the world. It is a wretched hive of scum and villainy, but there are some bright spots of light to the town. To draw a real-world analog, Baldur's Gate feels like Victorian London. If Victorian London was a walled city run by crooks and murderers, and guarded by and large by a ruthless and easily bribed mercenary group that would save you from looters just to beat you bloody and leave you dead in the rain-soaked cobblestones after lining their pockets with your valuables. So, basically, London. Basically real London. Yeah, Yeah. okay. However, in the module of the Descent into Avernus, there's a slight but significant tonal shift from the normally dour and dreary Baldur's Gate. That mercenary force I just mentioned is the Flaming Fist, and while they aren't exactly the most justice-focused policing force, they are kept in line by the leader of the town, Grand Duke Ravengard, who is widely regarded as a pretty decent fellow. Well, as luck would have it, 
It seems that he has disappeared and the flaming fists have been left to their own devices. Now imagine that dark, foggy London that I mentioned earlier, murderers skulking in the shadows, and then add martial law. Oh, and a rash of murders that seem indiscriminate and are presumably committed by an invasive cult of the Dead Three. Needless to say, this is not a place you take the family to for a relaxing vacation by the beach. However, because of its location and its relaxed legal requirements, should you need to find something or engage in some nefarious acts, Baldur's Gate is the place for you. Or if you just want to hang out with a flaming fist. Or if you just right. want to hang out with a flaming fist. Terry, comment on what? a flaming fist? No. No? You two would make a comment before me anyway. Now, let's talk about the surrounding area of Baldur's Gate before we get into the city itself. Baldur's Gate sits on the shores of the massive Chianthar River. This river segments the fields of the dead and the country, Eltergard. Now, Eltergard is a theocracy, and Elturil is its capital city. This is important for Avernus, but not for many other things, okay? So, just so you are aware, it, that's where Baldur's Gate kind of sits. It is roughly 100 miles north of Candlekeep and 200 miles west of Elturil and about 40 miles east of the Sword Coast. Can you give us those directions in Canadian? I, I honestly convert it in my head. First <laughs> one was 160 kilometers, then it was 320 kilometers, and I can't do 40. 40? Uh, what is the conversion? It's... 64. Yeah. Boom. Oh, there you go. Hey, I'm here for you. And 64 kilometers. Now, the city itself is roughly divided into three parts. The outer city, the inner city, and the upper city. In general, Baldur's Gate is a twice-walled city. The inner city, originally called Grey Harbor, is the oldest area of the town and contains the rough ruins of a wall that offer moderate at best protection. The creation of the upper city, the wealthy section of town where the dukes and the main section of political power sits, brought on a more powerfully built wall that surrounds both the inner city and the upper city. The outer city is just that, pockets of shanty town that rests outside the city as the metropolis has outgrown its walls. These are little more than extended slums. Just as a note, if you think you're really safe in the upper city, moderately safe in the uh, inner city, and horribly unsafe in the outer city, not so. Remember, there is an invasive cult of murderers that are kind of left to just do their thing in the city. Nowhere's really safe for you. Unless you know the right people to pay Unless the you right know amount the right of money. People. Yeah, uh, and don't go out at night. As for the history and the lore, to truly understand the town, we need to know where it started. Baldur's Gate was once a small fishing village named Grey Harbor. That town begat the hero Baldurin, who adventured across the sea and lands for many years before retiring back to his hometown bringing with him the influx of wealth and power that a successfully lucrative life of an adventurer brings. That wealth expanded the city economically, which drew more people to it, which expanded it more, and so on and so forth. That all necessitated the creation of a large wall, which was affectionately named Baldur's Gate, after the hero that changed the future of the humble fishing town. Within a short span of years, the nickname of that wall became synonymous for the entire town and soon was just generally accepted as the name of the town itself. Okay. Now, the city was originally run by the wealthiest of the families, calling themselves the Patriarch. Not the, not the Patriarchs, but not the Patriarch. Not the Patriarch, the Patriarch. Okay. Now, they separated themselves into the upper city, built the new wall, and then instituted hard taxes on the rapidly expanding populace. Both on the fact that it has this beautiful harbor on the Chianthar River, which is so close to the Sword Coast. Like, this place is a trade hub. From where it's it just a very positioned. central point. It's very central. 
So they started instituting all these taxes. Well, this caused a massive civil war between the nobles of Upper City and the masses of the inner city. Okay. Now, the patriarchs stood absolutely no chance here. And as their homes were looted and burned, the formation or hiring of many guilds and mercenary groups were brought into the city to protect those families. It took the election of a new group of dukes into a council called the Council of Four to stop the fighting, sort of. Now that the fighting was done, those roaming jobless mercenary groups were causing a whole slew of other chaos. Another hero of the town named Elton came by, brought a peace to the town by uniting all those groups into a singular force and named it the Flaming Fist. Yes. Okay. Now, the Flaming Fist function as the town guard to the entire city. But they I, are mercenaries, but to they be clear. Are, they are a mercenary organization. I think it's abundantly clear. I immediately wouldn't trust any group called the Flaming Fist. Don't worry, the Flaming Fist is here. I'll say, well, they sound like the bad guys. Yeah. Immediately. Right, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Flaming Fist sounds like something you'd order in a bar. It, yeah, in a nightclub. Uh, depends on the kind of club you go to. Oh my god, we should make D&D themed shots. Write that down. David. David. Moving on, Baldur's Gate has spent centuries since those times being home to adventurers and villains alike, notably the heroes of Baldur's Gate and the Dead Three, the former being an incredibly famous group of adventurers and the latter being a trio of like-minded and thoroughly evil mortal gods, Baal, Bane, and Miracle. But it's M-Y-R-K-U-L. Not Miracle. Yeah. Miracle. As a quick aside, just from my perspective, Miracle is featured heavily in a often forgot about adventure path from the 3.5 days called the Shattered City Adventure Path. Three and a half, you mean? Uh, no, 3.5, Brad, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna throw something at you. You're within reach. So... I really like the story of Miracle. Uh, he's also known as the Lord of Bones, and he's just like undeath personified. He is he is the god of undeath, whereas, you know, you have Orcus, who is the demon prince of undeath, right? Right. And by the way, they don't like each other, just, just as a side. Well, you can't have two people ruling the same... No, 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 not at all. Anyways, now, in current era, this city is a predominantly human, and about 125,000 people live there. It is ruled by the elected council of four... And the Parliament of Peers, which is a group of some 50 patriarch members who create and argue policy before presenting it to the Council of Four. Now, this is important because the patriarch system still exists. It, it just does not have the level of power it once had. Did they deliberately make this word sound close to patriarch? I have a feeling yes. It has to Because be. it frustrates me that because people are going to dive all over that. Like I don't, I get sick of hearing about all this stuff anyway, but I feel like that's <laughs> an excuse for nerds to just constantly now talk about this. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, down with the patriarch, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, all the city. All those broke white dudes going, point to it, please. I'd love some. <laughs> Now, the town is policed by both the Flaming Fist and the Watch, the latter of which being really nothing more than a glorified city-funded bodyguard for the rich and powerful patriarch families of the upper city, okay? It is a commerce-focused city, dealing mainly in trades and um, imports, okay? It is also the home to the infamous Assassins and Thieves Guild, known simply as the Guild. The Guild. That's it. So if you hear me mention anything during this episode that is just straight up the guild, I mean capital T, capital G, guild. And we're not okay? talking about the web show. I'm not talking about Felicia, Felicia Day's, Day's thing. thing. No, I'm, no. I'm, no, this is 
Way different than way that. different. Yeah. <laughs> to further y'all's information of the town by throwing some interesting locations in here, I want to get started. As a whole, it should be noted that while the upper city is not as affected, Baldur's Gate is under near constant fog cover. This is so pervasive that many businesses have green lights to show that they are open for business, even in the heat of the day, because the fog can sometimes be that dense and unrelenting. I love that. At night, these lanterns cast green lights, which causes this weird, eerie green glow in the city. Very cool. Like a Disney bad guy is just about to show up. Yeah, right? Maleficent. Yeah. Yeah. To mention Baldur's Gate, we should probably talk specifically about the gates for a minute. There are nine gates that are spread throughout the walled section of the city. These are the only locations to travel from the districts of the town, be they the inner, the upper, or the outer city, okay? These gates serve as neighborhoods as well within the larger districts. Many people saying they come from near the Black Dragon Gate. They come near... Yeah. Uh, they're, they're landmarks and identifiers within yeah. the city, right? right? They're very central points where people easily navigate from. One thing about the city that is uh, very important to know is that it's very, very focused in the guilds. Okay. Yes. There's lots of gangs, guilds, groups, mercenary bands, everything. If there, you're right? in the city, you likely belong to something bigger. You belong some to something bigger. Yeah. And those organizations are often at war in some way. And because murder on the like in the middle of the streets is commonplace inside of Baldur's Gate, you might not want to tell people exactly where you're from because they might associate you with that guild, which means you will end up being murdered if they're against you. Okay. Correct. So they say, I'm roughly from that area. It's like saying, I'm from East Van, right? When really you're from Burnaby, let's let's calm down. Okay? <laughs> now Neither's great. <laughs> now, the common, pa- uh, the common cost of passing through one of these gates into the city is five copper pieces ahead. And although some gates are strictly guarded, others will let you pass with nothing more than a bribe and a wink. It should be noted that while the watch watch the gates surrounding the upper city... The rest are policed by the less strict and easily bribable Flaming Fist. Now, Grey Harbor, as mentioned above, is one of the oldest and largest harbors in all the realms and what a lot of Baldur's Gate is built off of. It is well-equipped and large with massive cranes littering the wide and sturdy docks. There are mechanical things everywhere in the town. The God of Gond. Sorry, I almost hit Brad with my flailing It would have been talking. A, like a perfect your, shot your Flaming well. Fist. I <laughs> yeah. moved back as well. I was like, man... There are so many mechanical wonders in the town because of the presence of the god Gond, who is the artificing god of Faerun, okay? They run all and create all these things that kind of give it not just a Victorian London, but a distinctly steampunk feel to the town, right? So, Gears, mechanisms, whirring, steam, yeah, lots right? of those sorts these of things. These glowing the lights I don't feel are magical per se, they are mechanical. So if you like that feel of steampunk, you really love, you know, Hugh Jackman's Van Helsing movie, this is the place for you. I do. No, you just like the leather pants. Um, On Hugh Jackman or on Kate Beckinsale? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, Anyway, so all of these things are created by Gon's followers to make the docks a more efficient clockwork marvel. Due to the vital and central aspect of the harbor to the city as a whole, the harbor hands, which is a crew that operate the machinery and run the dock, and the gray wavers, which is a division of the flaming fists, patrol the docks. Now, the reason why I mentioned them in particular is the docks is probably the easiest way to get into town without being documented in any way, shape, or form. Okay? 
So you have the watch. They hold no presence in the docks whatsoever unless they are specifically guarding uh, a Someone's patriarch family correct. heading their way to the upper city. Yeah. Okay. Well, or on their way to the docks to yeah. ship out somewhere. Next, when you're looking at a map, you will notice this distinctly is Dust Hawk Hill. Dust Hawk Hill is a large yellow granite hill that sits just outside the eastern walls and is home to the Chianthar Dusthawk, which is an endangered bird and rumored to be the favorite hunting bird of the town's namesake, Baldurin, who's that hero that saved everything. Yep. Okay. Now, there's lots of rumors of what else is in Dusthawk Hill, but I will leave those for creative DMs to figure out. Now, when we're breaking down the specific wonders within the city... And the, and the specific locations in the city to give you guys an idea of feel. I'm going to divide it by the upper, the inner, and the lower. And the outside city. Okay, the outer city. Yeah. Okay? This is just to ease the conversation. Perfect. Okay? In the upper city is the Hall of Wonders. And this is the first thing I wanted to mention. That's the thing from Aladdin, right? Uh, no, <laughs> That's no. the Cave of Wonders. Oh, uh, so close. Yeah. The Hall of Wonders is a massive museum dedicated to the mechanical creations created in the name of God. It has... Just as a bolt of inspiration for you guys here, a steam-powered orchestra, a legit steam train, and a slew of other smaller mechanical clockwork wonders. There is rumor of a large vault hidden and protected by mechanical constructs that houses the most precious technological marvels, artifacts of Gond, or the personal storage of the most elite and wealthy of people, most likely patriarchs within the town. Okay? The High House of Wonders is similar. Note they have similar names, but they're different locations. The High House of Wonders is more of a workshop than a museum. Also, more of a temple than a vault. There's also the Helm and Cloak, which is the place to go to if you want to hobnob with the wealthy of the upper city. It is a two-building inn that not only serves as a haven to adventurers, but as the headquarters of the Knights of the Unicorn. Honestly, that's a great name. Not the Knights of the Unicorn. I was just about to say, I hate that name. But, <laughs> but the name of... Uh, the Helm and the Cloak. The Helm and the Cloak. Yeah. What a fantastic name. Love it. I would go to a bar called... Yeah. yeah. Like a pub. Well, I, I, I do want it. to mention specifically about the Knights of the Unicorn, which they run the Helm and Cloak, and it's kind of the base of their organization. They're one of the few bright lights within the town. And they authentically just want to help and better people's lives. What are they doing here? It, I mean, it, we're it's better, basically, I guess. You wear better. We're better. Right? I mean, they're still in the upper city. Yeah. So they're not really doing you know, it. But, they're not in the outer city. Yeah. It's all relative, right? Uh, next after that is uh, the High Hall, which is the center of the Parliament of Peers and the Council of the Four. It's where all of the governing happens within Baldur's Gate. There's the Wizard's Tower of Ramazith. Built over a hundred years ago, which is now occupied by the haughty mage named Loraukan. And, should be noted, he is from the country of Am, which, if you know anything about Baldur's Gate lore, which I will tell you right now, Am and Baldur's Gate really don't get along. They are are bitter enemies. Are you going to tell us why? Lots of espionage back and forth. Lots of, uh, Am is very much a uh, shadowy spy and assassin focused town. Yeah, cloak and dagger kind of thing. Very cloak and dagger. Uh, There's Um, rumors that they are devil worshippers that run the city there. Interesting. They also both compete uh, as major trade hubs. Like their Especially through Chult, which is a massive place. Yes. Really? Yeah. Interesting. So, and they have gone to legit war multiple times. So, um, also in the upper city is the Wide, which is a massive open civic space set aside for one thing and one thing only, 
and that is open and free markets. It is a multi-city block-wide bazaar. You could find literally anything. How bizarre. Um, it is mostly unpoliced. Like, there's flaming fists running through it, but... Well, it's um, upper city as well, so you'll it, also have... The occasional member of the watch, yeah. but items for sale there. It is one of those places in the D&D world you can get anything, right? For a price. For a price. Now, the wide is also home to the second version of a large statue of local legend, Minsk. And his friend, this is going to annoy you, Terry, miniature giant space hamster, Boo. He is a giant hamster that has been shrunk, so now looks like a regular hamster, but space it's an actual hamster. Space giant hamster. space what hamster. What the hell is a space hamster? I don't know, because the concept of space doesn't exist this- anywhere in D&D except with Boo. And how is there mammals? That, mammals that are specifically evolved from Earth's environment in well, space Well, it's not Earth, it's Toril. But so I will, I'll, break the, I'll break this down for you. It That's is literally fair. just a hamster. And Minsk just thinks it is a giant. That is right. that is your theory and interpretation of things. But <laughs> the one special thing about this statue is it legit was Minx and Boo petrified Petrifies. in the middle of the town. Until they were released. Until they were, the, spell, the magic was dispelled and they were released. And people liked it so much because it brought visitors to the town. Specifically, where the markets were. So they remade the. They remade the statue to a new statue. So it was a petrified giant human and his little hamster friend that were petrified. Okay, but 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 why all of this? What do you mean why? Because early D and D. Because when things were wild. It's inc- it's incredibly complicated piece of law there that I don't see what that adds to anything. It it shows you how fleshed out this is. Like this. Right? This is part and, of the and city. To be completely honest, if you are going into Baldur's Gate, it's kind of a 50 50 divide How between people who know? do not give a shit about Minsk and Boo. But it sounds like a give, PS1 game. It, I mean, it legitimately is, right? Minsk and Boo were from a comic book and the Baldur's Gate games that came out for PC and oh, PlayStation. Right, yeah. So, yeah. So it's one of those things, you know how when we talk about Icewind Dale and, and, and Ten Towns to the North, yeah. we talk about Dritz to Word and those guys? Yeah. You kind of got to do the same with Baldur's Gate. Okay. You don't get Baldur's Gate without Minsk and Boo, and this is where they are. Hate them. Yeah, okay. (laughs) I have no reason to hate them. Well, let's... You know what? If if you read more into them, you'll hate them less. And hamsters only live for like two years, so how important can this uh, hamster be? Oh, he's lived a lot longer than two years. A lot longer than that. Yeah. Anyways, we'll save you the frustration. We'll move to the inner city. Now, the inner city uh, has the neighborhoods of Bloombridge, Brampton, Eastway, Heapside, Sea Tower, and the Steeps. This is important. The home of the local news rag, Baldur's Mouth, sits comfortably among the common folk in the infamous Blushing Mermaid Tavern. Terry, you're going to love the Blushing Mermaid Inn and Tavern. Sure. The reason why, it is a rough and tumble bar, and it is centered around a large carved mermaid statue that is adorned with nailed-on, disembodied, and shriveled hands of those who reneged on their bill of the tavern and in. You don't pay your bill, off goes your hand, goes and up on the mermaid. Goes on the mermaid. In the center of the tavern. I do like it, yeah. So my theory is there's a bunch of one-handed people walking around who just avoid the shit out of that tavern. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah, right. you don't want to not be able to pay your bill twice. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to wipe with? Stump. <laughs> Gross. Anyways, the bank of Baldur's Gate is inside of the inner city, and it's called the Counting House, which also sits in the steeps. It is home to the legendary series of vaults guarded by the Flaming Fist and Golems alike. Rumor has it that the guild also has a home in the bank. 
Although those who spread such a rumor often end up penniless and bloodless on the side of an alley. Again, for those who weren't paying attention, the guild is the criminals, the cutthroats, the yep. assassins. That's that guild. Well, they they are some of some the of guild, them. Uh, some of the killers and murderers and assassins. Like there's, correct. There's, there's plenty of them to go around. There's plenty of them. If here. you're part of any organized crime, you're probably part of the guild. Yeah. There is the alchemical Full Gears Fireworks, which is another artificing wonder, as the four-story tall brick building seems to seep colored smoke and peculiar odors. Those with a martial bent would be remiss to miss out on Garmalt's House of Mastery, nestled in the Eastway neighborhood. This training hall meets tap room is for your most dude broiest of PCs. My guess, all the drinks have hops. What's wrong with hops? Brad and I How's your guys' hops. drinks? Delicious. Good, Thank man. you very know, much. Hops is a thing that uh, it is a bit douchey to enjoy IPAs, but I think I genuinely do, but I had I to learn do to. Too. I had to learn. You had to learn yeah. to. I've, I've never acquired the taste for them. I hate them, to be completely honest. Yeah. But I like a good stout. A good stout or a good, like, lager, and I'm, I'm okay. I mean, really? if it's beer, I'm not going to complain, but I do like my hops. I'm with Terry on this one. Yeah. No. If you're... More of a meditating type, though, head on over to Insight Park, which is the former dump made green space flourishing with all sorts of flora and fauna. Ah, gentrification. Brilliant. Yep. Next is the Elf Song Tavern, which is possibly the one of the most popular watering holes in all of Baldur's Gate, let alone in the inner city, and a vital location for any aspiring DM to know before venturing into this module. Absolutely. Okay. You will want to know this inside note if you're going to run yep. this module. Also is the home of the Flaming Fists themselves, the Sea Tower of Baldurin. A strategic and technical marvel in and of itself, it is a keep on an island much like Alcatraz. It is armed with the latest defenses and weaponry from the same guys who are making all the technological wonders in the city. And it serves as both protector of the city and prison, uh, housing the dungeons for the less cunning criminal element in the city. Those dumb enough to get caught and not able to pay a bribe, Ooh, basically. Ooh, yeah, Alcatraz inspiration here, Tower oh, yeah. of London. And it's, lean into it's some of very, that. it is an island, so it is yeah. out in the waters itself. I love it. Yeah. Very cool. Do a lot with that. But yeah, you have to be pretty dumb to actually get caught. You can pretty easily bribe the the Flaming Fist. So if you, you're either broke or stupid if you end up here. Yeah. Okay. Or, or... You've pissed someone You, you pissed off the off. wrong person. Yeah. yeah. Right? And you can be completely innocent, but you pissed someone off. Yeah. Right? Anyways, finally in the outer city with the neighborhoods Blackgate, Little Calamshan, Norchapel, Rivington, Sosefoot, Stony Eyes, Tumbledown, Twin Songs, Whitkeep, and Worms Crossing, which is a massive bridge that crosses the Chianthar River and houses dozens of its own shops and homes. On the bridge? Ch yeah. Yeah, Chianthar River is a massive river too. So this bridge is... Huge. absolutely massive with shops and housing on yeah. either oh, side of it yes and i actually picture under it as well like under the supports people have built i was in the philippines and i saw this where people had actually like built little homes, homes on the, under on, on the underside of the bridge I like yeah you just I build you know how like in, in the slums of rio you see like the just cascading wall the favelas. Of, like, yeah yeah those things um well that's rough that's basically favelas, yeah. that's basically what this is I love that because then you could have like a legitimate market on top, and then like the black market and it, underground the, stuff. The fun thing is, it kind of can it connects the outer city with uh, Rivington, which is one of these districts I mentioned before that is on the other side of the river. Right. But in the middle, there is a massive thing called the Worms Rock, and this is Worm with a Y. Okay. Um, on top of that stands a keep and two drawbridges that connect the edges of the bridge. 
Okay. So the bridge can effectively be shut down by the central keep. They can isolate the bridge. Oh, yeah. Right? Open the gate on either side and boom, it's only the bridge in the middle. Nothing's getting in or out. Now, one of the reasons why I'm mentioning all of these neighborhood names as well is like in the cold open, London has some bonkers wild location names. And you're really starting to see that London influence here. Yeah. Let alone the fact that it's foggy, wet, and people are getting murdered left, right, and center. Left, right, and Chelsea, as we say in London. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, the Outer City is one of the largest areas of the town, and it houses some of dangers and wonders equal to the more established areas of the city. From the cult safe house of Ham Hawk Slaughterhouse. What a great name. I mean, that's not even subtle, guys. To the Church of the Last Hope. To the more practical Garenmore Stables and Menagerie which is the place to find in the city to find a four-legged friend. It's very oddly non-specific. Yeah. Also of note is Little Calamshan, a smaller but still walled section of the town built by some Kalashite. I didn't there, Terry. <laughs> falling apart here. So a Kalashite is someone who is from Calamshan, okay? Which we... which is run by the Kalam. Yeah. Okay? Okay. So so okay. they just are called Kalish shites. Okay, makes sense. Sorry to our actually fairly large German audience. Um, so the uh, the town was built by some Kalashite refugees who just wanted a little slice of home. So they have a walled off neighborhood and given it a single gate in and out. Now, if you want to know kind of the real world inspiration to Kalimshan, it's very like Lawrence of Arabia, Aladdin, like really? it is. Mm-hmm. It is the Arabia flavored country or Arabic flavored country in. The Forgotten Realms. So in the middle of London, there is this little walled section where all of the Kalimshites live. Okay. okay? Yeah. Little Kalimshan has so many fun little things that go into it. It's got a theater. It is renowned for its gems and jewelry. It's just this great little place. However, there is no way in hell if you are not either a Kalimshite or married to a Kalimshite. Are you allowed within the city, the little town's walls, anytime after mid-afternoon? They shut the gates and no one really knows what goes on in there until then. But my guess is it's it's just kind of, that's that's their time for themselves. Right. I mean, in a city with as much going on as Baldur's Gate, I doubt that's much concern to anybody. Mm. So I got to ask, guys, uh, that's kind of the rough overview of all of Baldur's Gate as a city. There are a lot of other fun little locations and and stuff within yeah that i didn't mention but there were too many to just go over that baldur's gate is probably the most flushed out (laughs) city i would say even above and beyond water deep like i think you can get it's rivals but i would say it's probably actually at the very least if it's not more information it's far more interesting than what they give you for for water deep it's definitely more multicultural it's more uh varied and has so much more flavor like Waterdeep kind of just gives you a small flavor of around the town, but doesn't yeah. give you like a full on like deep dive into it. Whereas Avernus does. I mean, Baldur's Gate's been around a long time. Yeah. Uh, within like D&D lore itself, right? Well, it's had a lot of time. We'll get into some of that, but just there's a lot of information about it. Even in fifth edition, Avernus has an entire chapter just dedicated to the city and all the different boroughs. Like if we were to try and dive into it, we would be here for hours. Yeah. So if you so, want a, if you want a city that's fleshed out as a DM that you don't have to create yourself, there's some inspiration. Well, here's here's the question then. As a DM, what do you guys think would be a difficulty in running a campaign in Baldur's Gate? Let's run it. All right. Natural 20. I got a four. 18. Oh, yeah, my natural one with the natural 20, so I'll go first. 
Biggest difficulty, like I said, it's so flushed out. This is truly a sandbox that is not of your own design. So if you really want to embody this city and you have players who've done any research into it, you need to know a lot. Yeah, like there's a lot of work that has to go in as a DM if you're going to yeah. go into Baldur's Gate. I mean, really, you can hand wave a lot of stuff, especially if your players don't know the setting at all. Yeah. But I think you would also be doing yourself a disservice because it's so flushed out and you have so much that's been given to you. I think you'd be doing yourself a disservice to make it all up yourself. Yeah. But that said, it's also such a big city that there's no way the book has covered it all. So you're going oh, to easily yeah. be able to exactly. make some up as you need. Yeah. Terry? Yeah. The biggest difficulties is going to be remembering all of the, all of the lore, like, like Brad said. So I would agree with that. But what I would want to add to it for DMs is that you're not expected to know everything right there because... The people in these types of cities don't necessarily know. So this, of course, is huge London inspiration for me. Yeah. But also um, from some of the other capitals in the UK or former capitals like Edinburgh or York, they have a similar feel to a smaller degree. They're smaller cities. But the people within those places will know some of the lore about London, whether you're in like Whitechapel or whatever. But they're not the people on the street are not going to know hundreds of years of history. Mm -hmm. They'll know they'll know roughly where these names came from. Might get the story wrong. Their grandpa told it different to somebody else's grandpa. But that is actually a built-in excuse for you as the DM. Because the baker or the Fletcher or the person in the magic shop or whatever may get the odd thing wrong. Or if somebody asks a question and you're leaning on the NPCs for the answer, it actually doesn't matter if that answer is incorrect. Because that would be true to reality. You know, you're not going to stop somebody on the street who's shopping for their bread and they'll go, well, let me tell you about this war 300 years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's they, they're not going to know. Yeah. So you can lean into that ignorance a little bit um, until you get the answer and then uh, and then draw it out from a more significant NPC later. Cool. Mm -hmm. For me, it's, it's the technological aspect. Mm. It so breaks what you kind of see in a lot of typical, especially metropolises in D&D. Um, it so breaks the mold on that with there being basically steam power yeah. and like it's Victorian London is yeah. what the feel is of this town. And like Jack the Ripper and uh, Mr. Jekyll and Dr. Hyde or no, that's the wrong way around. Dr. Dr. Jekyll, Jekyll and Mr. Mr. Hyde. Hyde. Yeah. Like we'll get to insights in a second, but like that level of technology, you need to have a clear boundary mm -hmm. before you go into it. Because the second you kind of open up that door, players are going to be weird. Yeah. So have a clear boundary of what is possible with your steam tech and clockwork tech going into this. Your artificer right? is going to go wild. You're, yeah. If you are not playing an artificer going into Baldur's Gate, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's got to be one. Well, the but park. then there's so many options to go into We'll get into more. Yeah, we'll, but we'll like... get into more. I mean, yeah, you could go to that uh, uh, Halls of Mastery thing if you just Absolutely. want to punch someone in the face for hours yeah. right while drunk there's a legal place to do it congratulations Absolutely. but also you're not expected to know to understand that tech either right because most people walking around we don't even understand the technology that's around us now yeah. in our real world dan i remember a few months ago you told me you didn't know too much about cars so if i was to take you outside maybe you would know this and i went Point to me everything on this internal combustion engine oh yeah no chance exactly yeah. but that would be the same for most people within this city you you yeah. just have to be careful. I think what Dan's saying, be careful what you give your players access to yeah. Yeah. and what kind of technology right. you expose them to. I was also thinking, given all of the military, command, mercenary structures, political structures, that's another careful point as a DM that you got to be prepared for. Yeah. Because you're, you're going to want to know what's going on behind the scenes. It's going to drive your plot. Yeah. It's going to drive... There's going to be so much stuff that the characters aren't even going to, like your PCs aren't even going to be exposed to, yeah. but you're going to need to know is running behind the scenes as a DM. Fortunately yeah. for 
Baldur's Gate as we get it in in Descent to Avernus, you're not really in the town for long before you are descending into yeah. Avernus. Right. right. Yeah, if you're playing that module, absolutely not. But if you wanted to actually run a campaign... If you want to run a campaign Gate, based out of Baldur's Gate... You would run a full 20 levels and not even scratch the surface. Oh, and know your guilds. Absolutely. Know their uh, goals, what they will kill for, and have dozens of them when you're doing prep for this, right? Um, there's a lot prepared for you and kind of given to you within the city itself, but that does not stop you from adding more yeah. in. It is a city of guilds. Go for it. Now, same initiative order, guys. General insights you have, uh, ideas you have for running within this thing. Like, not just warnings, but what are some things that you would want to really dive into if you were running within Baldur's Gate? Perfect. All right, so uh, I would definitely want to dive into the missing Lord Duke, right? Okay. Your, your uh, head Duke, the fact that he is missing, like he's the guy, he's the leader of the Flaming Fists. He's also the yeah. leader of the Four, Council yeah, Four. Yeah, he's, he's the grand. He's the guy. And so so the, this is something I didn't mention earlier, but the, the Council of Four is three Dukes and one Grand Duke. And correct. the Grand Duke is kind of like the chairman of the board. Okay, yeah. He's the guy who's... Uh, within all of Faerun, there is a uh, council of all yep. of the major leaders of all the towns, and he is the one that goes and represents Baldur's Gate. Correct. And within current 5th edition lore, he is currently missing. Well, I Spoiler mean... Spoiler alert, by yeah, the way. Uh, I mean, you would find is, that, that is, out almost instantaneously. And that is, that is a core thread line in The Descent to Avernus. Correct. Is, is that he's missing. Um, uh, Terry, if you were running in Baldur's Gate, what would be the one thing you'd kind of want to... Yeah, I'd be leaning into that underground aspect of it. This is this is an artificer's paradise, but it's also a rogue's paradise oh, yes, as well. Oh, yeah, 100%. Because if you're leaning into that London-type, Victorian London, Jack the Ripper-type feel, it's going to be lots of thieves' cant, and then even expanding beyond that. Markings on the wall, certain names of buildings will mean mm -hmm. certain things. Uh, some people will understand certain codes, and other people won't. You can even bring in your own slang. I'm not expecting everybody to understand Cockney rhyming slang because God knows I don't, you know, and how that changes all the time. You have a far better grasp of it than I do, my and friend. I have a very basic English Northerners grasp of it, which is just the 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 ones that most people will know, and not the adaptations, because the original rhyming slang has now become another rhyming slang, which is so-called because it rhymes with the other rhyming slang like that's that's Fantastic. what it's become that's what it's become right? cool so cool um, but you can lean into that you can kind of make your own thieves can't sort of thing and and have people roll checks on whether or not they can figure out what this code might mean and mm -hmm. you can do this all over the city with written text images statues yeah. like you said um and and i would really lean into that because that's going to make for so much inspiration for certain mysteries uh, within the city. For me, and this should surprise neither of you, if you want to do a Cthuloid horror campaign, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. absolutely out of this, like hundred yeah, percent, yeah. right? Um, if you are a fan of all of those old pulp novels, like The Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, and like uh, I'm thinking like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen level of shit, like mm -hmm. yeah, if 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 you like. Nemo and uh, <laughs> fucking those guys like that campaign and this. This I is where you put it for Nemo for a second. No, no, no. I, I thought I'm, I'm like Captain Nemo. <laughs> yeah, of, no, I'm with yeah, you. Of the Tartarus? No. Oh, the Tartarus? No. Fuck, I'm going to get in trouble for not getting that right. P. Sherman, 42 Wallaby Way? No. <laughs> the Nautilus. The Nautilus, right? There are people who think it's real. 
So, do you know what? I just recently learned about 20,000 20, leagues under the sea? That's not how deep they are. That's how far they traveled when they were under the sea. Yes. Yeah. So, mind blown. If you are a fan of Jules Verne and the Nautilus, basing it out of Baldur's Gate is going to be a success every time, especially if you want to have a whole like squid cult based thing because it's a harbor. There mm-hmm. are islands, there are things hiding in the fog and the shadows of this town that will chill you to the bone and strip your flesh from it. Like, so much, yes, I want to do a horror campaign based yeah, on Baldur's Gate. Absolutely, I get it. I'd be deep into it i just had another thought i could totally picture especially if you're running in the upper city like a kingsman sort of vibe oh, oh yeah, yeah that would be a very cool yeah because yeah, oh, the tech as well right? absolutely yeah. you know what you could straight up be a james bond level campaign with this as well yeah and be like that's the political intrigue the spies the, a sherlock holmes campaign yeah right yeah. all and of this great fits in teamwork here. stuff right you know yeah. you know james bond is very much worked by himself but you can you can well, so do sherlock holmes what sherlock holmes only really worked by himself john watson yeah who who you really? <laughs> oh. Nearly one year ago, you witnessed how Louise Knox met a terrible fate as she attempted to flee from a sinister house. Nearly 11 months ago, You witnessed how Ox Dillon lost everything he ever loved and was arrested for the murder of his dearest friend. And then the prophesied horrors turned to silence, and all you could do was wait. But the tenth month has arrived again, and this Keeper of Arcane Secrets returns to you once more with five new tales of five new tortured souls, each isolated from help and hope. There are myriad ways to lose yourself to the unimaginable, as I will unveil before the clock strikes midnight on All Hallows' Eve. New terrors, new tragedies, and familiar faces begin to weave themselves into the apocalyptic tapestry of dread as this train begins once again to pick up steam while it barrels toward monolith, murder, flame, disaster, and darkness. Steal yourself and witness the dawning horror of how a federal agent is faced with a series of mysterious disappearances in a foreign land, how an outdoorsman watches his livelihood and sanctuary fall under attack by unknown forces, how a man of the cloth winds up facing a perversion of his own fate, how a fearless bootlegger faces down horror in the midst of a destructive storm, how a renowned archaeologist ends up in over his head in more ways than one. No matter the route, no matter the traveler, there is little hope to be found on the many roads to Amelia. Now, we need to get a little bit more meta. If you went into this episode not knowing any specifics like Terry, 
but you still knew the name of the town, that is likely because you've been paying attention to video games for the past three decades. Baldur's Gate is a fantastic setting and is the title of a series of fantastic video games that explore a lot of the town and feature the heroes of Baldur's Gate amongst others. The Baldur's Gate games were one of the first tastes of Dungeons and Dragons in video games that we saw. And they are iconic. Uh, you can actually buy them for your phone yes, right now. And they're actually really playable. And they're phone. really playable. And it works. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're yeah. decent. I mean, if you have never played one before, I would not recommend it just because there's so much nuance. Especially if you've only played 5th edition. They're based on the second of AD&D. They're based off AD&D. Right, right. So, yeah. Okay. So there's a lot. Of, it's hard to read on a phone. Which uh, platforms are they on? Are they so Android and Apple. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, uh, for, oh, like, Steam. Console. If you want to play okay. PC. Yeah. I think you can probably get them on some of the consoles. But... Uh, there's also GOG. Yeah, you can get them G or Steam, but anyways, worth a play. If you want to hold off, there is a game coming out. It's kind of already out in early access called Baldur's Gate 3. I'll get that in 10 years because I don't buy video games until 10 (laughs) years after everybody else. But this is a uh, full game with new mechanics and new visuals that is coming out in 2022 and will likely result in me dropping off the face of the earth for a few weeks. Absolutely. Should we do a let's play? Oh, 100% we should. Anyways... There are also many comic books, novels, all written about the steampunk clockwork Victorian feeling town. And I gotta say, as someone who's played a lot of World of Warcraft, there was a lot of talk of upper and inner and outer cities, but no under cities. Well, that's kind of where you're wrong. Yeah. Uh, not really mentioned in the Avernus book, but found in the video games and books that I mentioned earlier, are the details of the Underseller. Now, it's not perfect, but it's close. This is a large tavern, basically, that has taken over many of the storage spaces held under the wide, and it's a secret place, the perfect home for the guild or whatever your sneaky, shadow-loving stealth monkey can find. Also, as a threat to the town and still part of its flavor are the Dead Three, which I mentioned earlier. These are the three mortal demigods that are rumored to walk around the town, finding followers or killing those in their way. They are Bane, the Lord of Tyranny, Baal, the Lord of Murder, and Miracle, the Lord of Bones. And they have all recently, as for this module, been brought low and are usually an active threat in the streets of Baldur's Gate. Uh, while few will openly admit to worshipping these gods amongst men, little signs like a single black glove or fingernails caked in dirt or uh, a keen-edged ruthlessness could mark worshippers of the Dead Three. And unwitting adventurers waving their newly found gear around should be wary of a knife in the back or hell in the front from one of the devotees to these three gods. Yeah, your murder doesn't have to be secretive. There's no one stopping it from happening. Yeah, pretty much. So, guys, I need to ask a series of questions here. Do you think there are any missed opportunities when it came to Baldur's Gate? Is there anything that you feel that these guys have missed addressing within the city. Let's grab the dice and roll for it. I hope I get a low number because I need to think. That's an 18 for me. 15. Three. I'm going first again. Not necessarily missed. We haven't really talked about it, but uh, the sewer system underneath the Elder's Gate. Um, It is well documented that there is a really extensive sewer system. Yep. This city is based on a very solid foundation of infrastructure. And I think you could really do a lot of skulldudgery, a lot of, you know, secretive acts this is where you hide some of your cults 
I picture maybe some bands of kobolds or right. goblins 100%. running lizard underneath. Lizard folk running under. Yeah, yeah You know, lizard, lizard folk in, uh, in the sewers of a city? Turtles and yeah. rats. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> uh, Terry, what about you? Any missed opportunities here? I'm not sure if maybe we just haven't gone into this part yet, but a big part of this is clearly like London English uh, inspired is, is the class divide in the UK. Mm. There is a very obvious... And, and and hard class divide in traditional England where you are expected to stay within your class and you should not ever want to leave it. There's a pride in being working class. And, and what I loved about when I moved to North America is the idea that you can be anything and do anything and your family and friends will support you. Mm-hmm. Traditionally in England, it's don't get above your station. Don't think that you're better than us now because you went to university and we didn't. It's kind of like that. And so mm-hmm. that would be built into this type of city. If it, you, if you're, it's, it's roughly there it with the patriarch and, and whatnot. But there are like designated locations within the inner city and, and the upper city. Right. Where like people could come and try to rub and better themselves. Yeah. But no, that that still heavily exists. The, the, Good. So, because one of the things with D&D is we forget what the characters actually look like and what they're, what they're wearing, how they're speaking, and we let them move around as though they're not necessarily being noticed. But if you're working class and you go into a middle class area of London, you will stand out like a sore thumb. Typically, people will go in... Like, have you guys ever seen Oliver? The movie, the musical? Mm-hmm. The one with the cat and the... The no, Disney one? Not that one. Oh, no. Like the live action one. Okay. Well, like vendors and things like that that sell their bread or sell their fish or whatever will typically go into these richer areas to sell their wares and then they will leave again. They won't hang around. So you will be noticed if you move between these different areas and you're going outside of your expected class. Oh, 100%. I think it's definitely built yeah. in here. So if you're, built in yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. Because if you're working class and you're going into middle class, which would be lawyers, doctors, things like that, even they, they don't automatically get to go to upper class. Yeah, you know, it's, it's this. That's so, kind of your outer city is your lower class, your inner city is your middle-ish class, and then your upper city is definitely your high okay. class. Okay, oh, yeah, and that's, that's and something which I think can be easily forgotten in North America because we're so used to ambition and everybody kind mm-hmm. of blending together. But in a city like this, it would be noticed, and even the way you speak to people, if it's even your turn to speak, and who the hell is this, you know, um, that yeah, really I would cool. put that in a lot. Yeah, Absolutely. cool. Lean uh, into it. For uh, me, one of the missed opportunities here is is definitely more of a focus on the dead three um like i said mm. earlier i really love miracle ballite which is a really bad way of saying it but the ballite uh cult which in the history of baldur's gate has been big problems and yeah. like there's a the year of murder which was a token part of the baldur's gate calendar where the it's cult, like the purge but the cultists Baldur. of ball came in and just started murdering fucking everybody right and uh, they had this one nobleman who snuck in as a follower of Ball and just like straight up killed the Grand Duke. Yeah. Right? Just like Took his station. Yeah, and yeah. took his station and took over as the worshiper of Ball. Who, they mentioned that Ball, who is the Lord of Murder, purposely produced a lot of offspring to try to influence a lot of the surrounding oh, areas. Which is they, one of they the They call reasons, them Ball Spawn. Yeah. Not a joke. They call them Ball Spawn. <laughs> They're Ball Spawn. <laughs> Um, which is one of the reasons why Dan Anne, calls his kids boss man. I, I mean, not on the fucking podcast. Right? <laughs> uh, one of the reasons why Am and Baldur's Gate hate each other so much is during this era, Baldur's Gate sent a bunch of the ball spawn, spawn down to Am and just started murdering. Right. So like they are so 
insidiously entwined to the nature of the city and into the grains of the city that it's I understand that they're brought low for this and they're still a little bit of a threat, right? Like they're 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 a bit of a random encounter level threat. Yes. But they're not a major plot point. For me, you said the class thing's important. The fact that there are three gods legit walking the streets of the city and they're very evil gods and they are actively killing people and trying to take over this shit. Yeah. Like um Bane is the god of tyranny. He is straight up there to take over, right? I, I, I don't understand why they are as low as they are in the campaign. I mean, I it guess they want to talk about Avernus. devils and it was stuff. Specifically and, and, yeah, because sure. it, it you was... feel like the people of the city should be a lot more, like, openly God-fearing. Within... Oh, well, it says, like, the city is very open with the fact that the, the dead three are walking the streets. They yeah. know it, right? The Flaming Fist are hunting down members of, of this cult. But at the same time, a lot of the members of the Flaming Fist are members, are members of the cult, yeah. right. right? And it's very insidious and very pervasive within the city. So I, I would want to focus on that more as a DM. Um, Brad, do you have any insight on what you would focus on if you were homebrewing this? Yeah. Nothing to do with Avernus. So the Grand Duke is still in power. Sure. Um, how? What is the one thing you would focus on a homebrew here? So in that case, I think I would homebrew more of the plight of the upper class driving what happens in the city, right? So I would be, I'd make it a political intrigue sort of Mm -hmm. campaign, right? I would have plots running in every single camp, right? You would look at each and every house that's, I mean, if you were to go through, Avernus actually gives you a good list, but you could easily add as many houses as you wanted to, each with their own plots, with their own subterfuges, with their own skullduggery going on, Mm -hmm. right? That they would be trying to just pull out and I would really lean in, like I would almost center the entire campaign, the upper city. And then you're, the only reason you're going out of the upper city is because you're needing to trace a thread here or there or knock somebody off for a certain party, right? right? Everybody is part of a house. And I would even try and convince the players to maybe be part of separate houses where they themselves, you got to be careful, right? You'd want yeah. players with players who understand that this is a game and understand that they're going to be backstabbing each other. Right, yeah. And even the characters themselves would know that they can't trust these other characters, but they're working towards a common goal. Right, right. And maybe there's one person that they're trying to get into a seat of power on the Council of the Four. Yeah. Brad, you you mentioned some funny tavern names early that I wanted to come back to, and this is the perfect time to do it. Do you guys know historically why English pubs, Irish pubs even... Um, have strange names to them. Why they're like the ball in the chain. The, yeah. The, the frog in nightgown. Yeah. The cat in the fiddle. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's because people couldn't read. And so... Oh, just okay. pictures. And, and it was hanging signs. And so symbols would play a huge part in, in this in this place. So that's why they, people would literally look for the sign that was the crown and anchor, the seven stars, the jolly sailor. They would look for these images and these symbols. And, and quite often areas of, uh, of a city or a specific town in the country will have like a theme to them. I'm from a little fishing village on the northeast coast of England where everything is nautical themed. My local pub, incidentally, was called The Mermaid. That was the pub I went okay. to okay. every Friday night and every Christmas Eve I went to The Mermaid. There's the ship, there's the frigate. They all have these kind of names. In fact, the next town over has one called The Ship as well. They're everywhere. Um, but, well, The Ship's a shit. The Shit. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, but you can lean into these symbols and use them for your campaign in such a way where it may not be as obvious at first, but maybe they come back to it. So quite often, I think, not a mistake, but a method that people DM through run D&D 
is that they'll have this like linear um, treasure hunt type thing. Mm-hmm. Go and find this place. Okay, now we go and find it. We go, but we know where it is. It's called this. It's called whatever. If you have it so that it's not so obvious and you rely on symbols like most old-timey English places did, you would maybe come across, you know, like what you said, like the cat and fiddle or whatever earlier on. But it may not mean anything at that time, but still put that image in the player's head. Mm. And then later on, it'll be that big, oh my God, yes, that was the place. We've seen it before. It was over here. So a a place like like London, other British cities and and this type of um, uh, campaign setting lean into symbols a lot. Not that the pub names was just an example of where it can be used, but it will really be everywhere, all cool. over these towns. I like that. Cool. For me, if I'm homebrewing this, I'm really focusing in on. I, I, I know I mentioned Nemo, the steampunk side of things, but the tech, mm-hmm. right? If I'm homebrewing this, I'm. Uh, it, I mentioned like the the um, Hall of Wonders or the High Hall of Wonders, whatever it is, yeah. has this secret vault underground that yes. has all these like artifacts and are we doing an oceans 11 i want to do a heist man oh or, yeah or, or I mean, a yeah. heist and prison break mm. at the same time because you got an alcatraz yeah right like it's just you can run an entire like the first tier of your campaign is your characters wake up in prison you get to meet all the npcs within you get to figure out the political structures of the inmates within and of the guards mm-hmm. and figure out which guard is easy to pay off, which guard is more strict, which guard will look the other way if you need to shank somebody, right? Like you figure that out. And then for your first five sessions, you're trying to get out of the prison without like you're trying to get out scot-free, right? More so, Shawshank. Yeah, like more Shawshank, right? Um, or, I mean, you could go Oz with it and just go. Oh, God. Just go visceral. Show? I couldn't make I it through so it. I was so young when that show. Came I couldn't. Out. Yeah. yeah, I was way too young to handle that. Yeah, I gotta go back to it. Yeah. So there's an interesting mechanic when it comes to Baldur's Gate, and that is the dark secret mechanic. Now, this is an additional background that your party can take that will kind of connect your group together. Okay, you select what it is, and then you are randomly rolling what your role in the conspiracy was. Now, here's where things get interesting. Because you also roll on who knows your party's involved in this. So there is someone in the town. And all of these people mentioned here are fairly high up people in the town. Like they are heads of the guild or they are... They're not your random butcher down the They're street. not your random butcher. They are people with power. And nine times out of ten, if they know, they're looking for you. So your party is going to be moving throughout this city. And you have this dark secret. Now I want to go over a couple of these with you. And just talk to you about them because they're fucking amazing. They're okay? very cool. First, a conspiracy in Baldur's Gate. This is when your characters are all that left of a group that strove to change Baldur's Gate for either the better or the worse and failed. So now all of the city's leadership are after you. Um, You're effectively trying to perform a coup. Hold up. Well, not, not quite, quite not I guess. Quite. You're trying to... Uh, Influence and... Well, this, let's, let's look at some of the sure. uh, details here because you could roll for the specific details. You were working amid the High Hall's records. You came to realize just how separated commoners are from the patriarchs. So, slowly, you worked to upend the old families, the family's control over the city, but then somebody noticed. Or, too long, the guild monopolized control over the criminal operations in Baldur's Gate. You sought to add a little competition and break the guild's monopoly. And it was going well after your last heist, too, until the guild came for its cut. Okay? These are 
some of the main conspiracy thing. Now, you could be the role of a leader. You were the voice that the others followed and the call that they heeded following you to their end, right? This kind of sets up how your party is going to be set up right away. It also gives you some consequences, okay? The consequences are other members of your group were arrested, rightfully or otherwise. Now you're on the run. Or the other members of your group have been murdered, slain in some distinctive way, okay? Um, Maybe some of the other members of your group betrayed you to save themselves. So again, this is a thing your group selects as a uniting kind of common background. And it has some consequences. Someone knows about it and has some fallout and helps you kind of build your party dynamic. Before you even get to the session. You need this more in D&D. I, I, I reason to bring a party together. I like it. There's too many times you meet in a tavern, we don't have a common goal. Why are we all of a sudden partying together? Yeah. I like the one that previous, was, I think you essentially said previous party members have died. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that because that gives me, that's that Game of Thrones type inspiration of where the most important character was Rhaegar Targaryen, even though you literally never meet him ever. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's that type of thing. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Well, let me break down some of these options here. Murder in Baldur's Gate is a one of these common dark secrets that your party could take, where there's blood on your character's hands. You select who you killed, you select what your role in the murder was, and of course the consequences of your murder, okay? Some ideas are you killed Dr. Hulk Thinster, who jeopardized lives every night he worked at the Cliffgate Hospital. Who knows how many were crippled to Thinster's table or died under his inexpert knife. For them, you put an end to Thinster's practice for good. Just as an example, you could either have been the bystander, a murderer, an instigator, or the liar. You know what happened, but you didn't tell anybody. Murder consequences. Let's roll one at random here. Let's say a five. Somehow your victim is still alive and knows what you did. Now you've got to figure out how to put them down a second time. Congratulations. You've now got a multi-session arc. Absolutely. Right? With a couple random I'm so into this. Yeah. I love this. Next, theft in Baldur's Gate. You stole something. And there are consequences. Let's give an example. Terry, give me a number from one and six. Seven. (laughs) Two. Two. With the help of an inside man, you purloin money from the counting house, the most secure bank in Baldur's Gate. With the bank's reputation at stake, you know that the honorable order of moneylenders won't rest until the money is returned to its rightful owners and the thieves are brought to justice. I like the irony of the honorable order, order of moneylenders. Money and and <laughs> they work for the guild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Brad, give me a one to six. Three. Three. You were the distraction. While all eyes were on you, your friends were making off with the goods. This is so fucking yeah. Terry, one to six. One. Consequences, the owner of what you stole got the authorities involved, and now they're offering a reward for your capture. Okay? Next, a fail... And here's why I said maybe not a failed coup. That's true. Because there's a specific, a failed coup in Baldur's Gate. Terry, one to four. 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 The flaming fist is corrupt. Herp. Well, we already (laughs) did that. You turned against your commanding officer, seeking to take the fist in a new direction, and now you're branded a traitor. (laughs) Oh, boy. Seeking Tail to take the fist. Tail is old as time. Seeking, seeking to, take to take the, take fist, the fist in, the, uh, yeah. in a different direction. Yeah. Brad, I want to six. Moving on from that real quick. <laughs> Five. Five. You were the patsy. You. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. You might have been tricked into helping, but you helped all the same. One to six, Terry. Six again. Six again. One of your own ratted you out, and now you're all being hunted, but one of you is a traitor amongst traitors. Bastards. Okay. Which, by the way, one of the character roles is traitor. Okay. Wow. So... Yeah. There's only three options for that. Mm-hmm. But, oh my That's god, great. how great are they? How great right? is that as a DM and as a player? 
if I'm starting any homebrew campaign and my party goes, yeah, we want to be part of the same party, put that together. Absolutely. Just right? roll those you, and just go with it. That in itself is Well, not good. even, like, I mean, those might not necessarily fit your feel. I was going to say, those are inspiration. Have, if nothing else, make your own tables. Yeah. yeah right? right? Like, at least there's an inspiration point on how to bring a party together. It, it, it's, it's so great. So um, awesome. Do you guys, let's, let's think this. We now know, have an idea about Baldur's Gate. We have our initiative order from earlier. Brad, what is one uniting dark secret not mentioned here that you could have for your party? Uh, I'm going to say a uniting dark secret is that you're actually part of the same cult. Oh, okay. It doesn't have, because, right, we generally associate cults with evil gods within, but within D&D, I mean, it can be a cult to really... I mean, uh, the the Knights of the Unicorn, yeah, that sounds fairly sounds culty, cultish. Right? I mean, so, choose a patron, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean... With Tasha's, we kind of introduced um, group patrons. Yeah, cool. But something along those lines, right? Where you are all serving a similar organization. What the goal of that organization is, be it, you know, to overthrow a power. Maybe it's just to obtain an artifact. Maybe it's just to sow subterfuge throughout the town. Okay. Just to sow seeds of doubt, misinformation. Terry, you got one? Oh, no. I, I mean, perhaps you've all wronged the same person, but you're not aware well, each I mean, other that, has wronged the same person. That's great for... Yeah. Well, no, you'd want to be aware because this is oh, a uniting, oh, uniting thing, thing for the party, right. Right? Okay, that's right. But, like, um, this is this is perfect for your political injury campaign mm-hmm. where, yeah. you, where you're really trying to play into that class warfare. All of your characters are from the outer city trying to make their way into being part of the patriarch. Where you yeah. all owe an... You all owe a debt to the same person, or an that, unpayable yeah. debt. You right? said class divide right there, and you just uh, you jogged my memory for an old movie, the, the Prince and the Pauper. If anybody's aware yeah, of it, yeah. the Mickey Mouse one. Not the Mickey. What is it with you? The Disney <laughs> things coming? No, there's legit movies. <laughs> he's he's a dad of young children. That's okay. That's understandable. <laughs> yeah. Um. But the the class divide. Uh, the one of you is perhaps upper class and is being shown with like lower class people or something like that. Either way, they're they're not where they're supposed to be mm-hmm. in society. Mm-hmm. And perhaps the United Secret is that for whatever reason you're hiding that person. Yeah. Or you're all like a family that may be on the run if you think that like... Turns out you all share a father and you didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> and the father's ball. You're all yeah. ball spawn. Oh boy. Exactly. Uh, for me, I'm going back to the prison escape thing. You guys are all prison escapees, right? You have all escaped prison before the campaign even starts. You've all escaped you're prison. All this could be 20 years ago. You've right. all escaped prison. And now you're all here. And there's someone in the city who knows you who's like the lead investigator in your case from way back in the day. And it's a dead case. But it's the one that ate him up. It's the one failure of his career. And he's there to hunt you down. Like that is a typical player trope that now mm-hmm. you have as an NPC chasing the party. Yeah. Right. And he might be a legit good guy. Maybe a bit of a drinking problem. Mm-hmm. You know. Lachlan Boyle. Yeah. Uh-huh. But great like, character though. oh, so such a great character, um, genius who thought that guy up. <laughs> so the uh, you could run with this and then put your characters back in prison, and now you're doing another prison escape, right? I there's just so much you could do with such a deep um, connection between the party from the get go, and it really prevents that whole um, uh, discovery period. Uh, that can sometimes be very awkward, especially with new players trying to describe mm-hmm. who their character is. This gives you an easy in that you are all part of a party and here's why. Right? There's no mechanical boon. It's all flavor. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So I have, a, I have a, a general DM tip, which I think is going to help DMs when they're working on a larger scale for these, these biggest cities like this. I use a system where I have a, a, a hex map 
And instead of trying to m remember every street and everything, and, and do we do it like a dungeon crawl, and how do we move around, remember every detail, what I do is, is a region of the city, whether it's the upper city, lower city, or whatever, I may have 5, 9, 12, 13, whatever, hexes, and in each hex I will have a not-so-random encounter, or maybe one of three possible things that could happen, where instead of the party moving between specific streets and are you on Smith Street now or West Street or whatever is that they will move into a hex and I will give them a situation within that general area and so I basically minorly railroad them onto a specific street but hey you said you want to go to this part now it's not going to be a whole district it'll just be a small area like like a city block or two. like you know where we are right now like the hill and the three streets around yeah, okay and mm. then you just put them somewhere in here and that's where the situation is it's a lot easier to control because you can uh you can prepare these not so random encounters ahead of time and instead of hoping oh my goodness i do this or what if they don't do this do that whenever they go to an area you can have one of three things that will happen that will fit in with what they're doing mm -hmm. and you're prepped for it ahead of time so hex maps are really good for this for this kind of thing because you can have situations prepped Cool. Ahead of time. I like it. Well, if you want more great tips like that or you want to get in touch with other people in the community who are thinking like-minded or have some different ideas for you, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and at r slash it's a mimic on Reddit. Of course, you can always email us at info at it's a mimic.com and please feel free to send in any questions you may have for our mailbag episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I want to just to give kind of a talking point. If I missed any of like a special feature within the town, like one of these locations that I just skimmed over and you feel like I have done it dirty and not um, highlighted it enough. Go to the Reddit. Go to the Reddit, make a post, tell me which one's the best and why. I kind of want to hear you guys' opinion. What of these areas within uh, Baldur's Gate really inspires you to run a great game? Yeah, Baldur's Gate is such a big city where I guarantee you stuff has been missed. Yeah. We just can't get to it all. So share us your best. So as we're wrapping up here, um, I do want to talk about something we have blatantly glazed over and you might have noticed is specific NPCs and, and monsters found within Baldur's Gate. There's been a lot going on here. So first, let's let's talk about some NPCs. Brad? All right. Yeah. So I was kind of going through the book, specifically trying to pull out of Descent into Avernus as that's our main fifth edition talking point. But I've gone into a couple other sources as well. So let's get started. The first one that I want to talk about, Balderon. Yeah. The founder, the hero who founded Baldur's Gate, right? So he's was an adventurer, came back with loads of wealth that he had gotten from his adventuring time and basically just gave it away, which does not sound very Baldur's Gate, does it? No. No. Right? But he basically, all of his friends and family who lived in this small town, um, right, Grey Harbor it was called at the time. It was just a small fishing trading port. Not not much to speak of, really. Um, he basically shared his wealth around his friends and family and basically allowed them to flourish, to boom. And they basically founded businesses. They opened more trade routes. They gained wealth amongst themselves. And it drew more and more people to the town. So he is, I would say, directly the progenitor of all of Baldur's Gate. Yeah. Massive character. Pretty much anybody who's lived there any amount of time is at least going to know his name. Well, in the inner city, there is a twice real size statue of him that yes. no one knows where it came from. Um, it just is looking out into the water and it says that it is waiting his return back to the city, mm -hmm. which is really, really cool as a little bit of flavor. Who, what about who is running the town now? Who do we got? So for running the town, currently we have the Council of the Four. We discussed them briefly. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about the Grand Duke, uh, Grand Duke Alder Revengard, 
Uh, he is currently the Grand Duke. If we go into Avernus, he's currently missing, but yeah. let's we can ignore that. I don't want to give too many spoilers. That's a big part of that campaign. You might like this, Terry. He was a member of the Flaming Fist, started at the bottom, worked his way up through all the ranks until he eventually became the lead or uh, what was his actual title? Shoot, I Power title. Fist. Power Fist. <laughs> I, I gotta say, his name's Raven Guard. He's part of the mm-hmm. Flaming Fist. Like this is a Warhammer. Warhammer. It's so Warhammer. Yeah. yeah. Like so I'm just, I'm just like, come on, please. Yeah. Like, at least try a little bit. He has green armor in the back row. <laughs> oh, one big red hand. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so he he rose through the ranks of the Grand Fist, ultimately coming top rank of the of the Flaming Fist, and at that point. That gave him the power to then join the council of the four. At that point, as he was on the council, two of the other council members died under not mysterious circumstances, but they were kind of surrounded in lots of corruption and... Oh, yeah. Like like, like everyone I mean, does here. not really surprising. He got knocked off by yeah, somebody. Something happened. Anyways, two of them died, and he then played his hand right and was able to then become the Grand Duke. But the real controversial thing about him becoming the Grand Duke is he didn't give up his lead position of the Flaming Fist. So now he rules both. He rules the Council of the Four. He rules the Flaming Fist. Yeah. He owns two pieces. He is unquestionably, undeniably the most powerful person in Baldur's Gate. Yeah. Without, like, there's no equal, given the fact that he controls the entire mercenary group, and then he also controls the governing body. No. Um, Also, as Grand Duke, he also holds the right to basically pass anything he wants to, Mm. effectively, right? Kind of like a presidential pardon he can give to anybody. Yeah, he's got got the veto right. Very dictator vibes going on here. Interestingly, I'm glad you said that, because he actually does not use his powers. He actually himself holds himself above corruption and above persuasion. Yeah, they all do. do. All dictators do. He's got got (laughs) enough power himself that he doesn't, like, he refuses to be bribed, but he also doesn't... He's generally considered by the people of Baldur's Gate to actually be a fairly level-headed and fair ruler. Like yeah. he, he is not going to just bury people under because it goes against his power. Is he like a firm but fair? In a yeah, sense, kinda, yeah. yeah. And again, because he's got so much power, he doesn't really have anything to fear. So if somebody's coming up against him, he can just throw him out. Or All right, so that's the leader of the four. We'll go into some of the other dukes. There's three more dukes. So one of the dukes is Duke Balin Stelmain. Uh, she rose through politics to her position. She was a career politician. Ooh. Worked her way through. Um, there's not a lot of detail about her in this book without giving a lot of major spoilers for yeah. the campaign, so I'm not going to do it. However, I will say she's recently had a seizure. Um, I think they call it a seizure in the book. I would compare it more to a stroke based on what they've described it as. She has paralysis in her face, speech inhibitions and things like that, but right. she still holds her still holds her seat. Slurred speech, paralyzed face, similar stroke. And that's yeah. basically all we know about her without getting some... Major spoilers for Also known as me when I drink too much Chapiers. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> All right, next Duke, Dillard Porter. He rose to his position as a respected businessman. I gotta say, Dillard Porter. Like, yeah. Hey, where's Dillard Porter from? Dude's from London. Like, <laughs> it's a terrible name. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I, I like how they put a Y in it just yeah, to be like Portier. Portier. <laughs> I don't like names that clearly should be another name, but they put another consonant at the front. Like, that to me should be Willard. And mm. they said, no, it's Dillard. It's oh, like, no, well, they're, they're, Dillard's a legit name. Where? England? No, it's not. 100%. Are you arguing with him about what's Dillard? a real name in England? I I, 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 I went to school with a Dillard. No. Nah. 
Get I prefer Dilbert. Get rid of him. We're very much biblical names in London, in, oh, okay. uh, in England. Yeah, like Catholic like, names, right? Oh, everybody was like Matthew, Daniel, Luke. Like in my school, it wasn't until I came over here that it was random two-syllable names put together, and everybody's called fucking Grayson or something. <laughs> Sorry to all the Graysons out there listening. Sorry to all the Graysons. <laughs> anyway, so Dillard, he was a well-respected businessman. Unfortunately, in recent years, he's made some investments that have not paid off and have cost him dearly. So he's basically backed out of all of his business ventures. He now retires on his title and his his make earnings so far. Right. He's very old. I think he's in his 70s. He's older man and just he's happy to just coast the rest of his life. Sure. He's on the council. You can't really be removed from the council other than death. It's like a Senate seat. Seems flawed in a way. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Let's not get into all that. But yeah. yeah, yeah, we can get into that. They're basically the Supreme Court. Effectively. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, basically he's, he knows he's got his job for life. He's just cruising on his title. People come to him. He'll promise them the world and then do nothing. Like this man is the king of bureaucrats. Right. He'll put up all red tape. He needs to make sure that nothing happens. Just things just maintain the status quo. Yeah. So that's Dillard. Well, let's move on next. The final Duke, Thalmara uh, Vanthampur. What a name. Thalmara Vanthampur. This is one of those ones we've talked a little bit about the sewer systems earlier. And you talked about how people don't rise above their station. Right. This is an exception to the rule. Okay. So Thalmara, she started her career, basically. She born on the outer city. Like, she was no one of note. But because she was really shrewd, really ruthless, really fierce, she worked her way up. So she started working in the sewers, maintaining them, running them, keeping things running. She eventually worked her way up into the position of master of drains and underways. So she ran the whole sewer system. Yeah. Of course, you get to a position like that, you're going to start hobnobbing with people of political Mm -hmm. inclinations. And through that, through backstabbing, deal-making, shrewd, really vicious woman doing whatever she needed to do, she did make it happen and eventually was able to pull her way up into an appointment in the Council of the Four. Nice. So... Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? Really uncommon. Don't be afraid to do the dirty work, you know? Absolutely. Whatever you do, do it well. Absolutely. Um, So she is probably the most politically minded. Again, in order to get from where she was to where she is, she had to play the game. She had to know who's... Oh, she'd be savage. She had to know whose back got stabbed and who got thrown under the bus. But she made it happen. So basically, whenever there's anything going on within the council, she's the one you have to watch out for because she has dealings upon dealings. You don't know what her intentions are. Yeah. Everyone else, you've got a pretty good idea yeah. of what they're doing. Cool. You know, never underestimate... I know she's a fictional character. But never underestimate somebody who's come from that type of background as well where they know what it's like to do the real dirty work. Absolutely. When you were running the sewers, you know what it's like to be uncomfortable and you're willing to go to the to that level. Yeah. You know, it's... Uh, there's. She's also going to know the sewers inside. She's going to know the back ways. She's going to know all the dealings that go on underground. You're playing with a different rule set. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. All right. So that gives us the Council of Four. Um, we're going to... Do a couple other uh, NPCs that you will meet. Let's start with Captain Darman Zodge. This, if you're going to do the Descent into Vermin. You do, you know, right? Dad yeah. knows. Yeah. yeah. Zodge. So Dodge. Dodge, just Dodge with a Z, yes. Yeah. Any name with a Z in it, I'm not a fan of. <laughs> yeah. There's Sorry. like three names I like. Z for our American <laughs> listeners. No, fuck them. It's a Z. <laughs> um, all right. So if you're going to play Descent into Vermin, you're going to meet this guy off the bat. Um, PC, you want railroading? This is hard railroaded. Yeah, it says specifically no. in the DM notes, no matter what your players do to avoid this guy, he will find them. Okay. And I'll tell you why he'll find them. He is the captain of the Flaming Fist within one of the districts that you will first enter. He has connections everywhere. He's got eyes everywhere. He will find you. Basically, he knows there's adventurers in his quarter. He's going to make sure that he 
recruits you. Right. So you're going to meet him no matter what. But he is basically set on keeping peace in Baldur's Gate at any cost. Be that murder in the streets, be that locking people up, whatever he needs to do. As long as he's keeping the law. I think in the keep book... It, keep it order. Correct. Right. Law and order. Uh, according to the book, I believe his alignment is lawful evil. Mm-hmm. So... Again, this right. is the law. It doesn't matter what you have to do to execute the law. You execute the law. Right. So he is all business kind of guy. Um, he's not above taking a bribe himself, obviously. But he's also a man of some station. So if you want to bribe him, you're going to need to come up with some hefty coin. He won't be bought cheap. He can be bought, but he won't be bought cheap. Yeah. And I guarantee you, if you try and underbuy, undersell him, it'll, you'll find yourself going to make It's going to make it worse for yeah, you. You'll yeah, you'll offend him. Yeah. yeah. Um, then we also have Liara Porter. So we talked earlier about Dillard Porter. This is the niece of Dillard Porter. She is a commander of the Flaming Fist in Chult at Fort Belurian. You'll find out pretty soon. I don't think there's much of a spoiler for Avernus, but she's basically being recalled back to the city. Yeah. She's actually in Tomb of Annihilation. Yes, within going, Chult. Within Chult. Okay. Like great. you meet her as an NPC if you do that campaign, which is weird because that gives maybe a little bit of forward momentum mm-hmm. to the camp, like to the campaigns as right. they happen. Yeah, it's very cool. The only problem is the level ranges for the two don't. You would generally, no, yeah, you wouldn't no. play them. Basically, Avernus is not going to lead. Well, no, no, you don't play the same characters in Chult that no. you're going to play in Baldur's Gate. Anyway, mostly because you'll die in the Tomb of Annihilation. Yeah, but, but if you want to play Tomb of Annihilation campaign and then you want something with a tie-in later, no. then roll into Avernus. Anyways, she is basically a vying... She's kind of next in line to take over for Alder Ravengard as leader of the Flaming Fist. At least she considers herself to, given the fact that her uncle is on the council. She herself has a pretty prominent station in Chult. Yeah. Like, she's, she's a big deal within the Flaming Fist. You'll at least hear her name if you don't meet her. Uh, we talked earlier about the guild. Every good guild needs a leader. For the guild, uh, Nine Fingers Keen is the name of their leader. Which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's that's a beautifully named character. You like that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nine Figures Keen is, for all descriptions of her, completely... Oh, it's a woman. Nine yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, she is completely unremarkable. Presume. She has nine well, fingers. Well, I, 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 think, I, think I think it's along the lines of... Yeah, one, yes, she probably has nine yeah. fingers. But two, it's the uh, born... Uh, level of plainness, right? Yes. The reason why Jason Bourne is is as great as Jason Bourne is is because he's remarkably average. Absolutely. Right? Looking. I mean, he'll kick your ass if, five ways from Sunday. Mm-hmm. If you but, walk past him, you're not going to notice him if you walk by him five minutes again because he just looks like every other dude. Yeah. 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 And so Nine Figures Keen is specifically described in that same sense where she has been able to get to where she is because she's able to commit a crime. And even if you see her face, you're not going to recognize her five minutes later because she's just so plain looking. You wouldn't be able to point her out in the lineup. Yeah. Right. Um, she's incredibly smart, obviously. She likes order, and she doesn't like to draw attention to herself. She gets really mad with members of the like, guild. Like any good leader of yes. a thieves' guild. Yeah, like everything that's done, right? If somebody steps out of line, they are dealt with because they're drawing attention to the guild. Right. Yeah. Um, lately, there's been more and more of that, and she's getting really frustrated because there are other organizations that are being way less stealthy and yeah. way less... They're not following the rules, right? There are rules to committing crime in a city like Baldur's Gate. Yeah. Right? You stay under the radar. You play by the rules. You can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. She's run her guild that way. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, she has quite a few kingpins that work under her leadership. Um, three of them are described in the book, so we'll go over them real quick. First one, Goblin Benny. Who's not a goblin. He's no, a human. Correct. Not yeah. a goblin. He. The reason he has his name is because he's ferocious, egotistical, and full of rage. And he likes to bite the fingers off of people who anger him. I, I have a question. We have nine-fingered Keen 
and someone who likes to bite specifically fingers. Is this a Frodo Gollum situation? I say yes. Okay, cool. Sure. Yeah. I would allow it. Yeah, all right. I like it. It is nowhere specifically stated in such a sense, but I, I'm okay with it. That said, why would she keep him around as her number two? Well, not number well, two. Well, obviously he's got balls if he's going to he chop does. her finger Absolutely. off. Sorry, yeah. chomp her chomp finger her fingers off. off. Yeah. Uh, another one is straight stick. Oh, we didn't discuss old chomps. No, we did not discuss Old Chomps. Should we bring up discuss Old Chomps real um, quick? So Old Chomps is the sea monster that lives in the bay, basically. Basically, he's a giant sea turtle. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a he's a gigantic sea turtle who lives um, in the harbor, like in in Gray Harbor. He lives right. there and is a, a mixture of big fish story to uh, actual protector of the bay. Like mm-hmm. um, if a if if someone is like trying to get away uh, on their boat and that boat sinks, everyone will go, well, old Chomps protected us and saved us from, you know, them getting away with these treasures or whatever it is. Right. right? So, yeah, that that's who old Chomps is. He's kind of like the guardian angel of the harbor. Of the harbor itself. Yeah. yeah. And whether or not thing, he actually exists or to what degree he actually exists. And is, this is an interesting point because one of the things about Grey Harbor that's really interesting, it is incredibly deep. Like the bottom of it, no one's ever really seen it, right? So, which is weird for it being a river, mm-hmm. but it is like so incredibly deep that a full-on sea monster has lived at the bottom of it. Yeah, right. And could easily hide. Yeah, without being seen. So, uh, how does how does this so, guy? Anyways, do with so bring that back. So, straight stick, one of the um, kingpins for Nine Figures Keen. He is a seven-year-old man, really notable smuggler. Like he spent his entire life at the docks smuggling goods in and out. He claims to have been attacked by old chomps. Um, and as evidence of that, he uses a splintered fairy stick as a crutch, basically. And he says, see, this is all I escaped with, basically. Right, yeah. okay. So this, this crazy old man, but expert smuggler, spent his whole life in the docks as part of, these, as part of the guild. Cool. The last one they mentioned, which is really interesting, is the Whiskey Lady. Now, the Whiskey Lady, we don't know that she actually exists. No one has seen her. No one knows who she is. So she is supposedly part of one of the um, upper city neighborhood, upper city yeah, families called the Manorborn. Yeah, the Manorborn is the neighborhood. She's supposed to be the last of the line, basically. Rumor has it she's actually there is no one left in the line, and it's basically the guild that is running this house, claiming to be this woman. Right. right. And so she is called the Whiskey Lady, but she throws all these parties. No and, and like massive masquerade parties, yeah. right? She Gatsby, or but but she kind of, ne- yeah, kinda, but she never shows up to them. Like she herself never makes an appearance. Only those who speak on her behalf right. show up. And if you ask anybody at the party, they will not admit to it. But no one knows her name. No one's ever met her. But they will all say, "Oh yes, of course, the Lady of the Manor is what they will call her." Or um, Dowager. So da- Dowager. Dowager Manorborn, yeah. I believe, is what they call her. For all intents and purposes, she's just known as the Whiskey Lady, and as she may just be a figment. Yeah. Basically, the organization has created this figment of a person that runs this. And, and I want to say this is where the analog from Baldur's Gate to London falls apart because it's whiskey with an E. Ah. So. Ah, good spot. Yeah. So uh, it's not real whiskey. Is what it does. <laughs> I don't know enough about whiskey to, com- to possibly comment on that. <laughs> yes. Know. Okay. Real whiskey doesn't have the E. Fight me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that kind of covers the main PCs from this book that I want to touch on. There's one more that I think, as Dan's mentioned to me as well, we'd be remiss to not mention. 
Yeah, the, the Heroes of Balder. The Heroes of Balder. Uh, not even the Heroes of Balder Gate. They're just called the Heroes of Balder. But they're a group of adventures sent out from Baldur's Gate. They exist in the games. They exist in old lore. They've been around forever. They have a set of comic books specifically that they I've got a couple from. of their cards in my magic deck. Nerd. <laughs> um, so the comics themselves, if anyone wants to read them, Legends of Baldur's Gate. Uh, so the party is made up of five, six members, if you count the space hamster. You're going to love this, Terry. Okay. Right, you ready? Go for so it. first one, Delina. Moon Elf, Wild Magic Sorcerer. Yep. Okay. Uh, so yeah, Minsk and Boo, the Rashemi Ranger. Um, apparently, Ulti also multiclassed into Berserker. He has that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, he has got some, some anger issues. He has some serious he anger does? issues. Okay, yeah, right. and then we discussed. I mean, Boo he as throws well. a hamster at things. Yeah, like dude's not all there. No, we we discussed Boo, his miniature giant space hamster companion. Dan's gonna fight me on this. It's just a regular hamster. No, right. Okay. No, but as far as Minsk is concerned, he is not. He is this giant space hamster. Miniature giant space hamster. Yep. All right. Uh, next we have Kirtle, uh, half elf thief. Mm, Again, okay. rogues in Baldur's Gate yeah, makes sense. Kind of, I guess, kind of makes sense yeah. with what I said. Uh, Shandy Freefoot, a halfling rogue, very skilled with a bow, though. Very skilled. With very built skilled. Yeah. So a, a bow wielding rogue. And then lastly, we have Neris Kathon, who is a human cleric of Kelimvor, who is the Lord of the Dead. And their big thing is always with the Dead Three. Mm-hmm. Um, Vore is really not a fan of. No, so uh, it's it's one of those things where like the god of the dead really doesn't like undeath. And, makes sense, I suppose. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, we're gonna we're gonna see a little bit of why Vore wouldn't like that with some of the random encounters you could find inside of the cities. Now, I'll make this quick, but and I'll divide it by the by the by the district by the district. So in the upper city, if you're running a random encounter as you wander through the streets. You could run into either imps disguised as ravens, suits of armor that have escaped the High Hall of Wonder. You can also run into uh, abductor, murder, and revenge squads of devotees of the Dead Three. Um, Now, these are specifically detailed on page 28 of Descent into Avernus, but the groups are all comprised of followers of all three gods at a time, and they wander the streets seeking to abduct unwitting citizens... Murder those waving their wealth around, adventurers, or avenge those who speak ill against the Dead Three with overwhelming power and numbers. Okay? These things play into it. Now, in the inner city, you could find uh, more of these Dead Three squads or a gang of half-ogres that are just wandering the streets. Mm-hmm. And like, the, like these, these are your wandering hooligans that are just wandering around drunk looking for a fight. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like part of their night out. Yeah, yeah, the fight much. is all it's, part it's of it. It's not a good night until you've come home with a black eye. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, you could also run into some operatives from the guild or a fistful of brawlers around the corner from some surly and underpaid members of the fist. All pretty cool. Now, finally, in the outer city, which is a place I never want to go, one can find a crew of criminals demanding a street tax or uh, random undead picking corpses on the street clean from their unneeded flesh. Yeah. I'd like to point out, the Flaming Fist police inside the wall. Right. The outer city are outside the wall. There mm-hmm. is no guard outside of the walls. Yeah. Chaos so, reigns outside. Chaos reigns. But that's not it. You can find a cockatrice, six sturges, a couple of jackal wares. Oh, or mimics disguised as refuse on the side of the road. I quit. I'm out. This is like you missed my favorite one though, Dan. What's my what's your favorite one? My favorite one is the flying double-bladed axe terrorizing passersby. Yeah, okay, so which is actually just, just real quick. Which there, is Dan's favorite creature, there, actually. There is a there is a tavern that has an enchanted double-bladed axe as part of its like whole thing. 
Um, except the double-bladed axe is a enchanted sturge to look like a double-bladed axe right. that is just flying through the city doing sturge shit. But it looks like a double-bladed axe. And we all know, it's well-documented, the Dan loves Sturges. Oh, yeah, they're the greatest. This is that Final Fantasy-type random encounter where it, when it makes <laughs> yeah. no sense why these Absolutely. things are walking around the street. Like, you'll have the encounter, kill the weird monster that doesn't, it doesn't make sense why it's in the street, and then there'll just be, like, a little boy NPC that's like, oh, I saw him, he went that way. Like, it's, it's, yeah. it's like, why are you here? At this point, we're going to wrap things up. I want to ask you guys, what is an inspiration for one combat encounter within the realms of Baldur's Gate? Let's roll. I got a three. I got two. I got, I'm leading with first. a seven? Yeah. So one combat encounter. All right. I am picturing a gang of just street urchins. Okay. That have basically been paid. I want I want you to realize, th- just I'm going to stop you. Yes. This is a combat encounter, and you were talking about a horde of Sorry, children. Sorry, did, did we say... So s- this is a combat encounter, and you want to throw a horde of children. My apologies. I'm stopping you. Terry, I heard encounter. I did not hear like combat, because I want it to be a social encounter. This is coming My back apologies. to the Oliver Twist thing. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what I was picturing. So what yeah. I'm thinking is, Brad, who's still dealing with a toddler who doesn't sleep very well, <laughs> wants to kick a bunch of kids around. Not quite. I wouldn't say it out loud. Like when they're like... <laughs> that's the inside head. <laughs> like an eight or nine year old where they're not cute anymore. They're supposed to know better and they're just being a dick. And you're not oh. supposed to kill them. Oh, no, you're just supposed you're, to. That's right. You're, you're not just supposed doing, to kill them. You're just doing non-lethal damage, right? You're just, you're just bludgeoning them. To I, I genuinely them. thought you just said general encounter. I didn't catch combat general encounter. encounter. All right. Oh, so, uh, Terry, what do you got for a combat encounter, Brad? My bad. In the got, city. You have a perfect situation with Baldur's Gate here where you can have three-level combat, which can you can do well because you have sewers. So you have sewers, street, and rooftops. Oh, which yeah. Which can all be played, and you can easily move between them because there's entrances into the sewers everywhere, wherever you put them. And it's going to... And each level is so different with what's on it, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. how you move Absolutely. around it and how you can kind of move between one and the other. But it's easy enough to manage for you as the DM because it's just three different maps that would just be three different levels. And essentially, you can just play Super Mario Combat here but move between the levels. And oh, I think I like it would it. be, it would yeah, be fantastic. Be very cool. Well, what I would love to see is not just that, but you're dealing with the fog as well. Yeah. You can have so much like weird illusion-based combat mm-hmm. here, right? Especially if you are... Um, near one of the Halls of Wonder and some of these um, mechanical things get out and just cause random magical effects that are actually mechanical out there, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, there's there's so many things you could do and mess with people with fog. I mean, imagine what the streets look like after a gust of wind hits the street. Absolutely. And now you could see the street for a minute, right? I mean, there's so many cool things you could do with that. How about... Can I redeem myself for one second? Sure. What I really want for a combat encounter is a Rakshasa chasing you through the streets of Baldur's Gate. Yeah. No, what? Or a werewolf? Just some sort of like anthro-flavored I specifically want a Rakshasa. You do? Yeah. Yeah, uh, from the Kalimshite. Uh, yes. From the Kalimshite, like, district. Little yeah, Kalimshan. absolutely. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Uh, uh, what do you got for an uh, exploration encounter? Exploration encounter? I mean, a city of this size has so many options, but I'm going back to the sewers. Yep, cool. I mean, everything that's hidden in a city is going to be in the sewers. Secret passageways... Entry into houses and buildings that you shouldn't have access into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's no one ever wants to go into them, and it's the perfect spot to hide whatever you need to hide. Yeah, I'd say the waterways of the city, city like this. So the cities are very different from the waterways. Yeah, you can see things that you don't realize that you can, you would be able to see. 
when you're seeing things from a different angle, um, like even into buildings, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, just going back to London, for example, Parliament sits right on the river and you can like essentially see into it, you know, and uh, I think it will provide a different uh, viewpoint and just a, an interesting way to do things. Uh, my my exploration encounter is actually going to involve uh, Remazith's uh, tower, which is that wizard's mm-hmm. tower. Any kind of crazy shit could happen within a wizard's Absolutely. tower, but it's also in the high, the upper district, the upper city which is close to all of the, again, these mechanical things that are coming mm-hmm. out from this. If I'm in Baldur's Gate, I'm going to want this steampunk level of shit sure. involved, right? So one of the really, really fun exploration level encounters I want is a steam train loose inside of this massive tower, right? And mm. you are now traveling the tower on the back of this train going up, and you have to finish the encounter before you hit the top of the train, or this thing's exploding up the top. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Kind of, yeah. Right? Cool. What about a social encounter? Again, rift with them. I mean, you've got an entire upper class bourgeoisie sort of political intrigue. But instead, I think what I'm going to do, this is where I was picturing more of the street urchins, right? Where they've been sent after you, but street urchins can be bought, right? Or beaten, like you said earlier. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. (laughs) But I I like the thought, right? I mean, Sherlock Holmes did such a great job with this, right? Where they're the silent ears of the entire city. Yeah. yeah. These Oliver, are... Uh, Oliver Twist. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, if you can get a band of them, pay them what they need, give them meals, a roof over their heads, yeah. and basically have almost run your own, or like an orphanage, basically, of these urchin children yeah. that go out and do your bidding, I think that... I love it. That's going to buy your way past so many tricky things that you as a party would not be able to gain access to. Cool. Yeah. Terry, social encounter. Social encounter, yeah. Um, so, I, I, don't, I don't like saying this phrase, but when I was in Afghanistan, which is <laughs> occasionally comes up, um, there was a part of the training to go there is, is to look out for something called uh, absence of the normal, presence of the abnormal. And what that basically means is when you are local to an area, the local populace will understand if something is happening before you will. So, for example, the reason why this was important is if we turned a corner and it was two o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon and the marketplace was empty, we'd be like, we're not going down there because they know what's going on, even if we don't. That would be presence of the abnormal. uh, Sorry, uh, absence of the normal. Presence of the abnormal would be like if you were walking through the desert and there was a Coca-Cola can on the side, you'd be like, do not kick that can of Coca-Cola. It will explode. That type of thing. But you can do that in this type of Mm -hmm. environment because the locals even though they may not know the in-depth behind the scenes of what's going on they will know if a particular well-known person is in the marketplace or or something before you've seen them and they will move away from a certain area or they'll start to act differently if something's happening or they'll know if something is not supposed to be there before you will and you can lean into these things as kind of like clues as to what's going on and it'll uh, it'll give it a little bit more life to uh, to what's happening is cool. to is to use the local people as a reflection of actually what's happening in an area yeah that's I really like cool uh for me i you mentioned the whiskey lady and her yes. uh her parties the french revolution level of like the upper class is partying and dancing and having masquerades and, and like eating their cake and the lower classes are just fuming mad about it right Going through and experiencing the level of aggressive ignorance that the upper class have towards the plight of the lower classes right. is definitely something that this is perfectly tailored for. Mm-hmm. So the the Mary Antoinette, you know, let them eat cake yeah. quote of just well, just let them eat cake then. If they don't if 
if they don't have enough money to buy bread, let them eat cake right? instead. Let them eat cake instead, yeah. right? Well, no, I, I, and we're butchering that fucking quote. Absolutely, one hundred percent. What is it? Is uh, oh fuck? Because she was not as vicious as she. It no, comes she across. was not. No, like it, she was seen as really, really ignorant to that. But like that level of arrogance, almost, and like unknowing arrogance, right? Is definitely something I want to explore as a as a D and D player and as a DM, right? And see my players try to interact with somebody who just authentically thinks so they just gotta pull up their bootstraps. That's all they gotta do. Yeah. Right? How about this? How about a uh, Brad, give me a interesting plot hook or one shot or campaign. Just one. What do you got? So a big rule in Baldur's Gate is you never go out after dark. Yeah. So I am going to have the party specifically going out after dark to hunt the hunter. Okay. So I'm picturing, we talked earlier about Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. I'm picturing a, there is a Jack the Ripper running amok. Serial specific, killer. Yeah. Specifically in the outer city, part yeah. of the city, right? Where there's no protection. The Flaming Fist doesn't even dare go there and only operates at night. Mm-hmm. And one of the random encounters you could hit in the outer city is straight up a serial killer. Yeah. Right? Who uses the like the assassin stat block, mm-hmm. which is it's just beautiful. It's just yes. perfect. <laughs> it is. But yeah, I'm picturing like that's what I want. More of a it is more of a one shot or even like a small campaign arc. But realistically, I mean, you could then turn that person that they're hunting into more of a Moriarty. And now you've got your campaign. Oh, arc. yeah, okay. Right? Yeah. yeah you got this it. is the Moriarty to your So they're hunting the guy who's they're hunting the hunter, at which point they get caught in a trap. The hunter escapes, and boom, now you've got a nemesis for your whole campaign. Right, right. Um, leaning into the classes again, I think you can lean into social change. So where the class divide really started to blur was after World War One. if anybody knows, where everybody, doesn't matter where you came from, everybody was sharing trenches. You might not be the same rank or whatever, but you're all going over the top at the same time. Coming back from four years of that, all of a sudden you didn't want to polish your shoes and call this person sir or my lord anymore and go back to business in that sense. So the, the class divide started to blur a little bit. Um, and I think this would be a great campaign setting for where you can start to see that. And it typically happens with the younger generations. Uh, an example I can think of is there was a documentary years ago where uh, Prince William was with his friends. I think he was in Africa or something like that, destined to be king, whether he likes it or not. And they were all talking about their big plans for life. And he said, you're all talking about your great, your grand plans for life. And one day I'm going to be king. And right now I'm not interested in that. And that is a sign of me of where he was. He was looking for change, even though you think that he shouldn't be that person uh, at that time. And and I I would like to see that how how some big social change maybe after a significant event. You guys talked about how there's a tension of war mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. with the with the other area um, and how that might start to affect things within the city because there will be resistance from the older generation and there will be um, there there will be a movement of change with younger people and I think you can put that in the activities in the city whether it goes for like extremism or like some sort of terrorist act or whether it's just sort of rebellion of some kind but it'll make an interesting plot hook and and campaign arc because it won't necessarily be totally clear what's happening or where the threat is coming from Mm. yeah for me i it it is a full campaign arc um and this because probably because i've been watching far too much of the wire recently but your party is a group of the flaming fist who is actually they are part of the good groups of the flaming fist and they're trying to shut down a massive influx of drugs that have hit the city Mm. and are starting to kill people with weird consequences right like uh they die and then within an hour they're back up as the undead right or uh there is uh there's an undead creature i'm not sure it's if it's in fifth it probably is it's called a heck of a 
Yeah, it's a human creature. It before, yeah. No, it, it's a heck of a problem. And what it is, is it's an undead creature that inhabits a dead creature, basically. It is a worm-like creature that controls a dead corpse. Right. Okay. Having that thing in like a larval stage as a drug that makes everybody like, it lets you see through the fog, mm-hmm. right? Ooh, Make it I super I like on point, right? And then you have a bunch of noblemen taking it, being able to see through the fog, and now they get to live the life of the lower folk and like skulk around in the shadows for mm. once, right? And it's this whole thing, and your party is the ones who are trying to shut down that drug ring. I love that. That's brilliant. Very and the cool. undead thing you mentioned there, because that can be symbolic of addiction, right? Mm-hmm. Like the walking dead yeah. type mm-hmm. type thing. You know, when you get so lost in that abyss, it's it's hard to come out, you know, and it feels like they're on a different plane of existence when oh, you yeah. get to mm-hmm. that point. Exactly. And it brings into the fact the, that... The Dead 3 is part of the undead, right? Is part of the undead, as well as the fact that Baldur's Gate is a trade absolutely is right so if if any of your campaign ideas don't involve at least at any point in the campaign the fact that you are dealing with one of the biggest trade hubs on the sword coast you're doing yourself a disservice it's rich use it absolutely okay guys real quick brad does this interest you as a city it very much does, but I'll be honest, as a player, I find it overwhelming as a DM. Yeah, okay. Um, That's I find fair. It really, That's fair. Like, like you mentioned, you'd be doing yourself a disservice to not look at the trade hub. You'd be doing yourself a disservice to not look at the class war. There are so many balls to keep in the air. Balls to yeah. keep in the air. Yeah, ball spawns. Yeah. yeah, with this campaign setting that it intimidates me as a DM. I think it's really interesting. There's so much to work off of. But uh, I can't imagine myself running a campaign in here. Okay, cool. Terry? Yeah, yeah. as a, as a player, 100%, I'd want to dive right into it. I am interested as a DM, but I have the same fears as Brad. I think what I would do to manage that is I would restrict it to a certain area, not like video game style where you can't go past the invisible wall, but make it so that the majority of what is going on it would be in a particular area mm-hmm. before you move on, which I think would be typical of a bigger city like this anyway. You know, even us in the Vancouver area are typically in our area of the city. We have yeah. no reason to suddenly go to West Van for two hours and then come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that means it will be quite manageable if most of the people you're meeting and things you're interacting with are in a particular place. Yeah. yeah, I'm honestly I I've shat on this book for its lackadaisical approach to Baldur's Gate because you're not in it for long. No, no, but they've given you such a wealth of information to be able to run a full campaign out of Baldur's Gate that really you don't have to leave. And right? I never realized so, that looking at because I've glanced at this book and I've been like I don't care about the like going to the hells and all like that doesn't interest me. And doing the prep for this episode and specifically going into how much content it has specifically for Baldur's Gate. Well, this is really a 250 page book. Yeah. And of that 250 pages, I'm, I'm talking specifically of Baldur's Gate Descent Correct. into Avernus. Yes. Of that 250 odd pages, a good 50 pages of it is just about Baldur's Gate. Absolutely. They've done right. really done a deep dive. Which is weird considering based off the story you leave. You start there right and then you're gone. You get, right. your, so you get your plot hook from there and then that's right. the last you see. Yeah. So... I love Baldur's Gate. I, I really want to use it as a, even as a point of inspiration for my homebrew campaigns, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Any sort of major ocean side metropolis done, right? It, it really gives you a good starting point. So that'll be it for this discussion on Baldur's Gate, but there are a lot of other pieces of lore in Dungeons and Dragons. So subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. 
Next week, we'll be taking a good long look at one of the most customizable playable races in 5th edition, the Genasi. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com, as well as a store for some awesome merch. We also rely on word of mouth to get news of the podcast out there to the community, so please pass the word to everyone you know that we're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, requests, and questions for our mailbags can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. So all this talk going through Baldur's Gate had me thinking about one race I'd like to see more of, and that's the GIF. Yeah. The giant hippo. Like, they just seem to fit in this setting pretty well, and I would love to see them also as a player race. Yep. Are there any races that you think that maybe we're missing from Baldur's Gate that you'd like to see, maybe from other content? And any that you'd particularly like to play as a player race? Okay, so uh, for those who uh, maybe zoned out in the lore dump, Baldur's Gate is basically Victorian London. It is under a dense thing of fog almost all the time just because of its position in the lowlands. Yeah. Um, and it has a bunch of technical marvels to it Yes. Uh, due to the worship of the god Gaunt. So let's grab the dice and see. Terry? I'm ready. I got a 1. 14. I got a 16. The GIF are good. I like the idea that the GIF are here. But I would also like to see more of Rock Gnome presence in it. Like, just more of a general gnome. Of course, it's a gnome. But it's... it's A lot of the stuff is like human-made uh, stuff or dwarven make, right? The yeah. humans and dwarves are the primary... Uh, races and switch, so you're, you're leaning into the tinkering of Victorian yeah, steampunk. I, right? Okay, let's, I'll let's, let slide. Terry, what do you got? I've never played this game. I don't know what's involved with it. So, elves? <laughs> <laughs> well, think. I, I mean, this is a... If you wanted to play a Victorian espionage, lots of like uh, mid-street-level murder, steampunky feel game, right. what kind of race would you want to play? Half elf. You want to play a half elf? Why? Yeah, yeah. Because for the same reason I played a half elf in the game, because they're they're never fully accepted by either side. Okay. So naturally, they make people that would fit into being in the shadows would maybe resent one half of the lineage or not, and so um, they they never truly feel accepted. That's how I played my half elf, and I feel like that makes for a good criminal outsider. I think it would definitely fit within the setting, especially like descent and Vernus sort of setting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The other one I would like to add. Modrons, like playable yeah. Modrons. Playable Modrons. Within okay. this sort of setting. I think that'd be a really cool kind of character to... In yeah. the same way that you were talking about, like, no Tinkerers. Or just Tinkerers, Warforged. Warforged like, as well. Warforged like, bring him in... Well, yeah. Ebron, other than right? it's Faerun. Yeah, this is Faerun. There are no Warforged. But yeah. they would be a natural fit in this setting. Cool. Cool. Thanks for listening. Bye.